Let's pray, if you would. I'd like to seek God's help tonight. Heavenly Father, I am grateful for your word. And while some things are easily understood, other things in the scriptures are not, tonight, Lord, it's not so easy, and I ask that you would help us. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay. When I was a senior in high school, I was dating a young woman. We'll call her Kelly. Not her real name. But um, (laughs) you know, People are stupid in high school, and I think I was among the stupidest when it came to women. I'm not even sure how much I liked her. I mean, we enjoy, I enjoyed her. We had a good time together. We laughed. We would do dorky things, you know. But, you know, I think she was attractive to me and uh, somewhat uh, of a challenge And so I pursued her, and either she was lonely (laughs) or bored, and so she started dating me. And um, so, you know, we had this relationship where, you know, you're immediately attracted, and then you start to get to know each other, and as you get to know each other, you're going, huh, well, we don't have a whole lot in common, but you're my girlfriend, and I'm your boyfriend, and... We'll uh, show up places together and try and make this thing work. Anyway, so it came time for the Sadie Hawkins dance. You guys all know what a Sadie Hawkins dance is? Girls ask the guys, right? So, of course, Kelly was supposed to ask me because we were dating, right? Trouble is... I was playing basketball for my church team, and we had a big tournament that weekend in Chicago or something. And uh, at that point, I think basketball took priority over Kelly for me. And um, about the same time, a friend of mine, we'll call him Tom. Tom was a smooth talker, kind of a handsome guy. He was a wrestler, not a basketball player. But um, he... um, he had been sweet-talking this one girl in the library during his off period. So much so that she probably figured there was an attraction there and had asked him to the Sadie Hawkins dance, but he was just playing around. See? And so now he had crossed the line, and he's going, Oh, Mike, I know what I'm going to do. This girl's asked me to Sadie Hawkins, but I, you know, I mean, I don't really like her. I don't want to lead her on any more than I obviously already have. And so I had a bright idea. I go, Tom, I can't take Kelly to the Sadie Hawkins dance. Why don't you? If I have her ask you, then you're off the hook. You can tell this girl you've already got a date. And then, you know, I'm off the hook because I'm going to go play basketball. We thought this was a fantastic idea. He goes, really, Mike? Really? Really? 
going, yeah, no problem, Tom. Go right ahead. Really? Honestly? Seriously? You're okay with this? Hey, no problem. I trust you. Bum, 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 so I go off to the basketball tournament, come back, going on a bike ride with some of my buddies, go out to the quarry. It's a pretty long bike ride. And um, hey guys, back there in the back, hello. Guys, could you guys like quiet down? Well, Keegan just. Okay. <laughs> Welcome to Scum of the Earth, folks. Um, where was I? Oh, yes. So I was going on this bike ride with my friends. Tom was not with us in the bike ride. And we were having a long, leisurely, wonderful day and some holiday weekend. And uh, heck, it might have been, been Memorial Day weekend for all I know. I don't know. But we were going and uh, we were talking about uh, who was going to invite who to prom. They go, well, well Mike, who are you going to ask? And I go, well, I'm going to ask Kelly, of course. Awkward silence. <laughs> Buddies turn and look at one another. I'm going, okay, wh wh what's going on? Uh, nothing. I go, what's going on? Uh, have you talked to Kelly lately? Have you talked to Tom lately? I go, no. Maybe you better do that before prom, Mike. And, of course, I find out that they totally hooked up while I was gone, right? I mean, it hit me like a lightning bolt out of a clear blue sky. I just didn't expect my friend, whom I trusted, who made sure that I trusted him, to do something like that at all. It was so uncharacteristic. I mean, what do you do when your friends don't act like your friends. That's a problem. But tonight we got a bigger problem. Here at church. Here at Scum of the Earth Church. This is the problem we have. When Jesus doesn't act like Jesus. Mark chapter 7, starting in verse 24. This is what it says. Jesus left that place and went to the vicinity of Tyre. He entered a house and did not want anyone to know it. Yet he could not keep his presence secret. Okay, let's stop and think about this for a minute. Jesus just got done kind of sort of being rejected by the Pharisees and the Jews where he was before after the feeding and all that kind of stuff. So he goes off into the Gentile region. He's into where the Goyim live. What is that old rhyme? 
something about, uh, yeah, right. How odd of God to choose the Jews. And then the reply is, it's not out of God, goyim and oyim. But uh, <laughs> anyway, well, thank you, Leon Rosen, for that. But the, the deal is, is that Jews and Gentiles, Jews and non-Jews, weren't always getting along very well. And so Jesus leaves the predominantly Jewish area and goes to a predominantly Gentile area. And he wants to be alone or something, either to teach his disciples or to get some R&R or spend some time with God alone. We don't know. But he wanted to keep his presence secret. But Jesus, remember, is a rock star at this point. Everybody's coming out to see him, even from the Gentile regions. And, of course, his presence can't remain a secret. So verse 25, In fact, as soon as she heard about him, a woman whose little daughter was possessed by an evil spirit came and fell at his feet. The woman was a Greek, born in Syrian Phoenicia. She begged Jesus to drive the demon out of her daughter. So far, so good. Like almost every story we've heard about Jesus so far, whether it's Jairus falling at Jesus' feet or the woman with the bleeding or anybody else who needed a demon cast out or a healing, right? You come to Jesus and you fall at His feet and you beg Him to heal you. And so far, every time, Jesus is healed. Isn't that correct? But not this time. Verse 27. First, let the children eat all they want, he told her, for it is not right to take the children's bread and toss it to their dogs. This is cold. This is cold. Jesus is speaking in a parable. He's saying that the Jewish people are the children of God, and they get fed first. And he was sent to the children of Israel. You are one of the goyim that annoy him. And therefore, you don't get fed. I'm thinking, did Jesus have a bad day? Like, did he forget who he was for a minute? What is going on here? If the Pharisees had been there, they would have stood up and cheered. But the woman seems to do a couple things here. She accepts the parable. First of all, she understands the parable, which I can say more for her than for the disciples. This lady gets it right off the bat. She knows that Jesus is calling her a dog. And that's not like today, you know, in hip-hop culture, hey, dog, how's it going, you know? Or like, you know, listen to American Idol, it's kind of a term of endearment, right? Whenever Randy talks, right? So, but not so here. It's, it's not... It's not a term of endearment at all. And yes, Jesus says the little dogs. 
So it's not like the dogs are out in the street, feral dogs running in packs. He didn't use that word. He used the word for, for little dog. Probably in Greek, just so you know. I don't know what it was like back then, but um, Greeks do that today. When you want to talk about a kid, a, a pedi, a pedi is one thing, a pedaki is a little kid, right? A skilo is a dog, a skilaki, it's a little dog, right? We tend to like skilakis better than we like skilos. Puppies are always cuter than, you know, giant bull mastiffs who were growling and foaming at the mouth. So, he doesn't use the word for the cur that will be out on the street. But still, he's calling her a dog. Not exactly a compliment. She says, yes, Lord, but even the dogs under the table eat the children's crumbs. So she's accepting the label of dog. But then she's pushing back. She's coming back at Jesus. And he says, for such a reply, you may go. The demon has left your daughter. She went home and found her child lying on the bed and the demon gone. This is one of those odd stories, folks, where Jesus doesn't act like Jesus, at least not at first. One wonders what would happen if the lady hadn't had the pluck and the courage to retort, to push back, to say something to Jesus that uh, recognized his parable and then took it farther. Would her little daughter have been left with the demon plaguing her? I don't know. doesn't matter. This is what happened. This story is also recorded in Matthew. Jesus even comes off worse in Matthew than he does in Mark. But he seems to say, don't bother me. If only you were a Jew, then maybe I could help you. So you've got to wonder what's going on. And this is the deal, all right? I feel this way sometimes. You ever feel this way sometimes? Jesus, Jesus, I need you. Please help with this situation. Please help with this person. And I feel sometimes like Jesus is either ignoring me or saying something like, if you were only a better person, if you were only more religious, if you only had the right theology, if, if you were only part of this select group, then maybe I would help you. But you're not good enough, so I'm not going to help you. I mean, Jesus comes off a little bit like a racist here, doesn't he? Because the woman is not of the right lineage. This is the kind of thing she would have expected from any Jewish man ever. I mean, first of all, women didn't talk to men in the culture. Second of all, Gentile women didn't talk to Jewish rabbis. So the fact that Jesus even answered her is kind of incredible. 
And when he answers her, he tells her what you would expect a Jewish rabbi to say. And I'm thinking, why would Jesus do this? Why? Some commentators have said, well, we don't know the tone by which Jesus was speaking. He could have said this with like a twinkle in his eye. Could be a little playful banter. You know, I don't know if I can do this, but I'll try. First, wink, wink. Let the children eat all they want. For it is not right to take the children's bread, wink, wink, and toss it to their <clears throat> dogs. <laughs> Excuse me. Okay. I'm sure I'm exaggerating, even from what the commentators are saying. It's a possibility. He did use the word for little dog, and he did kind of give her a hint, didn't he? He used the word first, first, meaning that there could be a second if you had enough courage and boldness to ask me about it. But, I don't know. I'm wondering what Jesus is doing. Because what it calls into question is Jesus' heart. Doesn't it? It's the very, very first temptation I think that Adam and Eve had to encounter in the garden of, of, uh, of Eden's story. Is God really good? Would God withhold good things from you? How good is God to you on a scale of 1 to 10? Is he 7, 7.5, 10 to other people? How good is God to you? See, that's the question this woman has got to wrestle with. How good is Jesus' heart? How Do I dare to push back? Because this man not only could not heal my daughter from her demon, but he could make my life worse, like I could be turned into a toad or something. Seriously, this is a very precarious situation for her to be in. So what is Jesus doing? Jesus is starting a dialogue at the very, very least. And whether or not he's being kind, or he's got a cool tone, or winking, or giving other signals that it's okay to keep coming back at him. I mean, he is inviting the lady into some kind of discussion if she wants her daughter to be healed. Because otherwise it's all over. And, and, and this is a crystallizing moment for this woman. I mean, what's she going to do? Is she going to pursue this or is she going to drop it? How desperate is she? Well, she's extremely desperate. And so she comes back with a reply. And I'm thinking that maybe the reply may have been different if Jesus hadn't said what he said. You know, sometimes Jesus calls us to be his buddy, right? 
Sometimes you're in the worship service and, and, and the song's playing and you get swept up by these emotions and you feel like you're God's little girl or God's little boy and, and, and everything is right with the world. You've got your brothers and sisters around you and, and Jesus is inviting you into His family and everything is flowers and bird songs. There are times like that, right? There are times when it's, it's you and Jesus just going through life arm in arm like brothers, like brother and sister. But sometimes Jesus calls us to a different kind of relationship. And that's what I think is going on here. It's a more contentious relationship with the Almighty. In some ways, it's a more Jewish relationship with the Almighty than we're used to. If you think back to the Old Testament greats, one of the things that surprises you if you read objectively is how big a mouth some of these guys had when they argued with God. Whether it was Abraham arguing about the outcome of Sodom and Gomorrah with God, well, would you do it like if there were ten people there? Well, how about if there were like five? Or what if, the, you know, you go, what if, the, you know, okay. Or Moses arguing with God, you don't want to do that, God. You don't want to do that. I know what you're planning. No, you can't do that. I'm going, Moses, who do you think you are? But Moses is arguing with God back and forth and back and forth. You see, in the Gentile world, you don't get that. I mean, I come from Greek heritage, right? You don't mess with the Greek gods. You say one word off color, and next thing you know, you're being zapped by a lightning bolt from Zeus or turned into stone or something weird like that because the Greek gods are so capricious and weird, and you never knew what... I mean, you knew what their hearts were, and their hearts were like wicked. They were arrogant and jealous and terrible. And you don't mess with those kind of people. And then you go for an oracle, right, at Delphi to try and find out what's going on. And it always speaks in riddles. So you don't know what's going on. And you think you're following the will of the gods, but actually, no, you're just sealing your own doom. You read the Greek myths sometimes. It's horrible. Horrible system of, of religion. And so Jesus is now bringing this... Gentile woman into a more Jewish expression of what it means to be with God. She's encouraging, he's encouraging her to interact with him. And she takes the bait. Sometimes Jesus calls us to two things. On the one hand, he calls us to be humble. This lady was, was humble, was she not? I mean, she accepted the label of dog. No problem. I'm a Gentile woman. This is one of the great things about scum of the earth, right? We know we're effed up. We know it. We know that we're not all that. We know that when it comes to churches on the evangelical scale, we do not make the grade. We understand that we're sinners. If you go over there and look at our mission statement, you will see that we are a church who recognizes our need for a Savior. And that's a great place to start because that's where this woman starts. She starts 
saying, yes, I'm a dog. I'm a Gentile dog. She's got a humility about her that I think is exactly the most honest place to start. And I think here at SCOM, I think we have this humility about us as well. We're the scum of the earth. We're the refuse of the world. We can't do anything right. We need Jesus desperately. I think that's a great place to be. But the second thing that happens here is that Jesus not only calls her to humility, Jesus calls her to push back. Jesus not only calls her to a meekness, he calls her to a boldness. Yes, we are scum of the earth, but we are also the light of the world, the dearly beloved of God, the daughters and the sons of the Most High. We have a place at the table. Our prayers are heard just as much as the prayers of any church in any country in any age. Once we're in that kind of situation, once we know God's heart toward us, then we can push back a little bit. Why? Because we know God's heart. Whenever pain or sorrow or difficulty roars into our life, we are forced to ask a basic question. How good is God? How good is He? To me. It's the basic question. What do I believe about His heart? I think, and this is a confession, I think I'm always surprised by God's goodness to me. Always surprised by it. I remember when my mom died. All those questions come up. And years later, years later, I'm surprised by how well it all turned out. That um, my brothers and sisters and I were raised in a loving home. That a woman who had lost her husband was able to find a new husband in my father. That her children were able to find a new dad in my father, and I was able to find a mom in this woman my dad married. In truth, she's been my mom longer now than my natural mother had the chance to be. And it's good, folks. It's really good. I've grown, and it was difficult for a while because, you know, she's one of those German peoples who don't talk much and just show how they, much they love you by what they do. Meanwhile, I'm of this Greek descent. I like to talk a lot and not do a lot. 
And so that all gets worked out, and it's good. God is good. Better than I expected. In my marriage, I've told these stories before, but I really felt like God duped me about a few months after I got married. I mean, Mary felt the same way. We were going, you tricked me. Is God really good? Jesus, Jesus, please save my marriage. Please save my marriage. My marriage is dying, Jesus. Please save my marriage. Over and over again. And it feels like Jesus is saying, well, you know, if you were just a better Christian, if you just had listened to me more closely, if you had gone to that Bill Gothard seminar, if you had whatever, then maybe... No, see? You know, and almost 32 years later, I am a man blessed beyond measure. I appreciate my wife like no other. Is God good? Yeah. God's good. There's a humility that comes as you discover that you're a crappy husband. There really is. And as you push back on God saying, you've got to make this thing better, please help me. This is the woman that you gave me. Make it better. It gets better. God is good. When it comes to uh, my vocation, a lot of you know that for many years I uh, kind of floundered in my work. I tried to be really good at what I did, but I never quite made it very well. And the question I would have would be very similar to the question that this lady is having. I mean, I used to question God's goodness. I would say, God, I hate my life. Look, either change my heart so that I like what I'm doing or change my situation so that I can go and do what I was meant to do. Because if you don't do one of those two things, you know what? You're mean. That's who you are. You're a mean God. It's like, so either change my heart or change my situation. One of the two. Come on. Now, was I pushing back? Big time. Could he have turned me into a toad? Any day. But God's heart is one of love. In the same way that He crystallized the lady's faith in that interchange here in Mark chapter 7, God crystallized my relationship with Him because I kept interacting with Him back and forth in a very good old Jewish manner. You see, what God is after, what Jesus is after, is a relationship with you and a relationship with me that goes beyond what we think is just some kind of vending machine God. Bless me, yes. Stick in the coin, pull the lever. Aha, my daughter is healed. 
God wants to heal people, but He's after more than that. He wants to go deeper. He wants a relationship with you. A relationship with me. So sometimes it doesn't act the way you think it's going to act. Jesus doesn't act like Jesus because He wants to make you or me interact with Him and find out that yes, His heart is really good. Everything we know about Jesus says that He's good. Everything we read in the Bible is that He is good. But we get in these situations and we think, maybe He's not good. It's kind of like those kids in the Chronicles of Narnia. In the line in which in the wardrobe, Lucy, the youngest of the four children, finds this magical wardrobe. If you walk through the wardrobe, you're in another land called Narnia. And so she comes back and she tells her older brothers and sister what happened if I, when you walk through the wardrobe, this is what happens. And of course, the kids go to check it out and nothing's there. And they're really worried about Lucy. They think something's wrong with Lucy. Go to talk to the old professor, Professor Kirk, and they say, Professor, we're worried about Lucy. And so the professor says, Have you known Lucy to be a liar in the past? Well, no. Is she shown signs of being crazy where she would believe this is true, but it really isn't? Well, no, she's always been very level-headed. And then he says something like, what do they teach these children in these schools? If that's what you know about your sister, then why wouldn't you give her the benefit of the doubt about this magic wardrobe? Transfer that to Jesus. If everything we know about Jesus is that He's good and that His heart is big and that He wants to heal, then why, when you come up to a place where you're not getting what you want when you want it, why would you think that Jesus is not good? Maybe He's after something else. Maybe He's trying to deepen your faith. Maybe He's trying to crystallize the moment like a memorial in your mind so you'll never forget that He is indeed good. This is the crazy thing about those hard times in my life. You know, I wouldn't give you a nickel for any more of them. But I wouldn't trade Him for a million dollars. Because when I come up here to preach and I want to talk about the greatness of God, guess where I go? Those hard times. Every time. Every single time. What He did in my marriage. What He did for my, my son's healing after he was born. What He did for my vocation. Or how about this building? Do you remember... All of a sudden, we had $100,000 in the bank. They wanted $650,000 for this building. And we had 30 days. Do you remember that? Do you remember having all-night prayer vigils, asking God to help us? We didn't know that the money was actually going to be there until I was sitting in the landmark office waiting for the money to be wired from the Christian businessmen who were going to loan us a quarter million dollars for 90 days. The rest of the money had come in. I mean, could Jesus have been after something with scum of the earth that could not have come any other way except by 
not acting like the giant vending machine. Could have been after a relationship with us that makes us who we are to this present day. I believe he was. We are always surprised by God's goodness. And the reason is, is because we are so not good. So this is the good news, folks. Whenever you feel like Jesus is not acting like Jesus in your own life, He's about ready to do something awesome with your relationship with Him. It may be difficult. You may have to ask over and over and over again, like the woman did in the Matthew version, without hearing a response from Jesus. You may have to push back and interact with God and say, you know what, I'm not so sure about you, God. So come on. Talk to me. Or whatever your pushback would be. Okay, I'll tell you what. I know you're good. I don't see it right now. My world is falling apart. But you're good, and I'm just going to trust you no matter what happens, because you're my God, and I'm your guy. That's it. I'm standing here. I don't care if hell freezes over. I'm not moving. So... I dare you. I dare you, God. Do something. I don't know what your reaction would be, but an interaction will happen. Bantering back and forth. A communication that he has with this woman he's not supposed to even be talking to. His disciples are probably incredulous. He's talking to a woman. He's talking to a, a Gentile woman. What's going on here? He's teaching them something. This is how you interact with God. Don't give up. Don't give up. Don't give up. God is better than you think. And when it looks like he's acting out of character, it's for your own good. The building up of your faith for your own humility. Amen. Pray with me. Lord God, I thank you for This story in the Gospels where it looks like you totally blew this lady off. I thank you for her great faith in you, for her courage. And Lord, I ask that we are like this woman. I ask that we can humble ourselves, that we can push back. I pray that we embrace a meekness and a boldness all at the same time when it comes to our relationship with you. And uh, I ask that we have vibrant relationships with you, Jesus. And I pray that we have stories that we can tell our friends, our family, our parents, our children, about how you really are good and your heart is ready to be played with. In Christ's name, amen.